There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. All right, we're back finally a month after uh, our last show in August with another show. We do have some news, which is, I guess, why we're back with uh, <laughs> with an episode and closing in on the regular season, which is exciting. But uh, first, I mean, welcome back, Stephen. Welcome back to the show. Nice to nice to be back talking Ducks hockey. Yeah, no, it's been a minute, eh? It's uh, you know, I mean, but it's it's also it's just kind of the kind of perfect clash of like your traditional dead hockey time because of August where everything and nothing happens. And then it also feels a little bit weirder because the season went so late this year and, you know, free agency was in like July and all that stuff. So like, uh, you know, just the timeline of when everything is, it's just kind of filling up, but we've hit September and, you know, we've got development camps coming up and all this kind of stuff. And so it'll be nice to, uh, have some real hockey shit to talk about. Yeah, I feel like we were spoiled a bit in like the early off season with the Jack Eichel news for a while, where the Ducks mm-hmm. were at the forefront of, of the rumors and everybody felt like it was going to get done. And now we're we're still here and nothing's happened with Jack Eichel, and we're we're getting more uh, Jack Eichel and, and Ducks rumors and reports coming in uh, with the news coming from John Oven. On, uh, I believe he was featured on somebody else's podcast, but he was talking about the outlook for the Ducks and the Kings, and uh, a clip came. I think, I think it was his podcast that he had someone okay. on. Okay, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, either way, uh, but yeah, he way, was. The clip came from John Hoven, and he was absolutely part of. The yeah, he was talking about no, Sorry. no, no, no worries. Uh, he was talking about kind of the outlook for the Ducks and the Kings as well, and what their futures could look like, and the fact that we're kind of heading into. A, a clash of the Titans again with both teams kind of rounding out their rebuilds and, and getting back to being competitive at the same time. And, of course, when you're talking the Ducks and Kings at this time of the year and the way things have been going this offseason, Jack Eichel's name comes up in the, in the discussion. And he, he mentions an interesting point uh, on the Ducks 
uh, last offer, I believe, from a, an, a source uh, of his uh, who was an NHL executive close to the Jack Eichel situation, mentioning that the Ducks' last offer that was rejected by the Sabres included two roster players, and one of them was John Gibson. Didn't say who the other roster player was, but it was strictly a hockey deal, which already makes me believe this is 100% true because I, like we know Bob Murray and his tendency yeah. to pursue a hockey deal. Uh, and we know the from reports early last year that the Sabres were interested in John Gibson. So I, I feel like there's some validity to this rumor and, and that the Ducks would have put that in as an offer. Like, obviously, it got rejected, so it doesn't matter at this point. But before we, we get into discussing, I do want to play the clip just so everybody's kind of caught up. So let's uh, let's go into that clip here. You know, to usher in this new era of Anaheim Ducks hockey. But, Boom, I'll, I'll leave you, or not leave you, but I will share with you uh, some interesting information that I came across over the weekend from a very well-respected NHL executive in terms of talking about what's going on with the Jack Eichel situation. I circled back because there was some chatter about Anaheim being interested, and here's what I found out. Uh, the Ducks did, in fact, offer to what I understand to be two NHL roster players. One of them is believed to be John Gibson. Uh, and, and they thought it was going to kind of be a hockey trade along the lines of what the Kings did in the Mike Richards trade, where there was some NHL talent that was offered up uh, alongside a prospect or a pick, but it was nowhere near the four first-round picks that uh, Kevin Adams has been looking for. Uh, but from what I gather, the Ducks were looking at a hockey trade uh, for, uh, to get Jack Eichel, and uh, Buffalo wanted no part of that. So um, the, the Ducks do remain, from everything I've been able to gather, the Ducks remain very interested in Jack Eichel. And when the asking price does come down, expect them to circle back on it. Uh, but one thing seems to be clear. Uh, they have no appetite at all to move a Trevor Zegris or even to move a McTavish or a Dry. All right. Well, we'll cut it there. But it's not surprising, right, that it's not, it's not news we haven't already heard. The Ducks are interested in Jack Eichel. They poked around a couple deals. They're not interested in moving Zegris or Drysdale or, I guess, McTavish, which is, is fairly new, but, not again, not surprising. And they would like to move some of their older core off their roster. Maybe it's a bit surprising to hear John Gibson's name officially thrown out because I think, from all things considered, we've never really heard that the Ducks were shopping Gibson, and they may might not be, but... We never really heard his name come up in any significant trade discussions, but I guess if you are going to move him, the guy you want to move him for is a player like Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean, so real quick, just to because I feel silly. It, you were 100% right. Hoven was on Boomer's show for NHL Minutes. Um, so just to get that, the, the source is absolutely Hoven. Um, but I think the other thing, right, is we remember hearing, I think towards the end of the season, if not the kind of in the playoff time but like we had heard that buffalo had called about john gibson uh before the season had started and so i understand in theory why bob murray would be like hey you know that guy that you wanted uh we still got him but i i think you know and th this is something like uh, you know you've heard me say a hundred times like i just i really don't think that trade makes sense for either side it's such a dumb idea to me because you know, like the truth of the matter is, if you look at the guys who can make an NHL po like all star team, like the Ducks have Gibby, you know, uh, yeah, maybe Comtois develops there, right? But he's not there yet. Maybe Raquel goes on a scoring streak, right? He goes on a huge shooting percentage bender and he does something crazy. Okay, fine. Maybe Hampus Lindholm has an incredible season outside of just, you know, his underlying defensive metrics and stuff like that. But 
it's Gibson. And if you're going to bring in a guy like Eichel to elevate the ceiling of the team, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to move out Gibson, who is a guy who will provide you an equitable level of talent in support. You know, I, I get, I get the idea. I get the allure, you know, it's six and a, it's, you know, almost six and a half million dollars against the cap, which helps offset the 10 million that's coming in with Eichel. Like there are a lot of parts of it that I think are logical, but I just think when you're looking at the long-term prospects of that trade, it doesn't make sense for, I, it just doesn't make sense for either side to me. Yeah, it, it really does. I know we talked about this um, probably earlier, either during the season or just into the off season about, and it wasn't any rumors, but about John Gibson being involved in an Eichel trade. I think it was right at the beginning of the Eichel rumors. And I think it was in our discord chat for Patreon where somebody brought up like send John Gibson to Buffalo and referencing those rumors we just talked about uh, earlier last year that the Sabres had inquired about his availability. It, it doesn't make any sense, though, because like, if you're the Sabres and you're trying to get John Gibson, who's, what, 27 now, I think, or at least around that, 26, 27, yeah. 28 years old, like you're almost getting him to keep Jack Eichel, and I believe that's the point we made prior to this as well. Exactly it's like right, yes. You're bringing in John Gibson to hopefully convince Jack Eichel to stay, which now we're beyond that point, and I don't think there, there's any way he ends up staying with the Sabres uh, unless they're holding him hostage. But you would bring in a John Gibson in to, to keep Jack Eichel and move out some of your younger prospects and build around that, that core and try and win, you know, in the next four or five years when you've got Dallin in his early, you know, early 20s and Jack Eichel around 23, 24, 25, and Gibson in his prime. That would be what you're trying to win. And if you're the Ducks, doesn't make sense to trade John Gibson to bring in Jack Eichel because Eichel's going to then walk into a similar situation he had in Buffalo, a team near the bottom of the standings, a team that doesn't have a lot going for it right now. You know, they've got a lot of young guys on the way and, and he definitely adds to that core forward group and, and makes them a better team. But, you know, the defense is still a work in progress and who's going to step in between the pipes at that point. Like it's going to be Lucas Dostal and Anthony Stolarz. And I think we all like Lucas Dostal, but it's still a long way away to know exactly what he's going to be at the NHL level. It was great in Finland, had a good first year in the AHL in North America, but that's it. That's all, that's all we're at with him right now. And there's been plenty mm -hmm. of goalies who've had the same track record or close to it and not panned out in the NHL or not become a starting goaltender or at least one at the level that John Gibson is already at. So I, I think it'd be way too soon for a John Gibson trade. I, I think now if you were, you know, it makes sense that if you're trying to get Jack Eichel, that's the type of player you would move a John Gibson for, but the deal itself in principle just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I think like you said, right. It's, it's, it's equitable, roughly equitable talent value as far as, you know, guys who are really good and, you know, all world caliber at their position. Um, you know, but it, like, I mean, look, like, I think it's fair at this point to say that Lucas Dostal isn't even, you know, a Carter Hart level prospect. And we saw Carter Hart have a really bad second year. Like it, you know, it just didn't go well for him. And, you know, the Philadelphia team's a mess for a thousand different reasons and stuff like that. But I, I think it definitely shows you, you know, the the kind of caution you have to go into those things. Because, you know, again, like so much of being a, an everyday goaltender in the NHL is mental. 
you know, and, and maybe if Ryan Miller was still around, you could talk me a little bit into him being there as like a veteran for Dostal or something like that. Like I, I get that idea, but I also just think like if you bring in Jack Eichel, you're going to be looking to make a push right away. And I don't think it's fair to drop that onto a, what, 21, 22-year-old goalie who just made his move to North America. Like I just... It just seems like a bad idea. Now, it's a good way to kill this, this development by doing that, right? So, yeah, it it definitely it definitely runs the risk of of really you know forcing him into a corner where he feels like a lot more is on his shoulders than should be, you know. And and maybe it's something right you you make another trade like I, I don't know. I'm just gonna throw something out there. I, it's obviously just ridiculous, but like. I don't know, right? Maybe you can go try to get Braden Holpe or something like that, right? Or maybe Calgary just is like, we're done. You can go get Thatcher Demko maybe. Like, I, I think, you know, there are ways, or Markstrom, I think, is the guy who's in Calgary yeah. now. Um, you know, there are guys that are, you know, out there to an extent. But it, it, it just, as a full puzzle, none of it really fits together in a way that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, John Gibson's good. He just turned 28 in July. So if they're going to move him, then they need to do it now. Um, you know, because he's not going to retain this kind of value, you know, and, and even then, I think there's a lot of question marks around the league about which John Gibson is the real John Gibson. You know, I, I think some of that's a little overblown. I think it kind of ignores the fact that right when he was about to start really playing his best hockey, the team fell off a cliff in front of him. And, you know, I, I know that like people say that goal saved above expected, like accounts for that, but there are just, in my opinion, there are flaws in the model that don't make the model invalid, but need to be taken into account. So, you know, if, if they're in on Eichel, they need to keep Gibson. If they're not in on Eichel, then I have no problem with them trying to find somewhere to move Gibson. You know, we talked about this in the group chat a little bit and got into a huge old fight, me and Pat about what can you get for John Gibson and who's available and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, it's a weird thing. And I don't, like I said, I don't think that trade as constructed makes sense for either side. Yeah. Yeah. And and I agree with you too. I think you're, you're getting to that point. and, And we're saying that with a lot of these guys with Lindholm, Obviously, because Lindholm's in a contract year, same goes for Manson, same goes for Raquel. Like, you're getting to that point, and maybe you're a little bit past that point where you got to move these guys if you're going to move them because their value is at the highest it could possibly be. And, like, you, you sign Lindholm to, a, you know, whatever the contract is, let's say, like a six by eight, his value goes down in a sense where, yeah. you know, you're Absolutely. trying to move now that big contract and, and the amount of suitors maybe goes out the window. And, I think in likelihood Lindholm's probably near the bottom of the list to get moved out of those guys, but Raquel is a guy we talked about should have probably got moved last year, who I'm sure they're exploring deals with at this point. Could have been the second piece in that deal to Buffalo. We don't know. Josh Manson's another guy who is up for a contract at the end of this year and is a guy that should get moved because of his age, because of the direction of this franchise. And I think it's it's right to put John Gibson in that group if you are trying to, you know, really facilitate and, and kind of spark this rebuild. And they're going to have to come to a tough decision. I think, you know, obviously decisions about Raquel and Manson and Lindholm will be made a little bit sooner rather than later just because of their contract status. And you can kind of wait a little bit on John Gibson. But I don't think you want to wait too long because, like you said, he is 28. 
and you know the longer you wait and you know i know goalies have a little bit more of a, a longer lifespan uh than than some of the you know the other positions here but try trading him at 31 and 32 and you know, where are you at as a franchise at that point? And, and it becomes a, a tough game to to really predict, you know, when the Ducks are going to be good again, how valuable is John Gibson going to be for them at that point, depending on his age and his, his, his you know, his ability still. So it, it's a tough one, but it, it does give you a little bit of insight into what their decision-making and what their thought process is with John Gibson, that he isn't completely untouchable. You know, he was offered up in this trade. I know it is for Jack Eichel, and you have to offer something at value there. But it does speak volumes that, you know, guys like Zegris and Drysdale and McTavish are untouchable, and they are not involved in a trade for Jack Eichel, but John Gibson is. So there is at least some willingness there to move him if the return makes sense for the franchise. So that that's maybe something we didn't necessarily see before, because I think the last reports we got about John Gibson being traded where the ones with the Sabres, when they inquired, the Ducks said they had no interest in moving mm-hmm. him at all. So now there seems to be at least a, a move off that stance, and whether that's just because it's Jack Eichel and, and that's mm-hmm. it. But I, I feel like there are other teams out there who could offer packages of prospects and picks that could potentially interest the Ducks into eventually moving John Gibson out the door. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Cap Friendly right now, and this year... John Gibson's modified no trade clause kicks in. So now he can submit a 10 team, no trade list, you know? And, and so like that's, you know, what is that? 11 teams now, because he's already on Anaheim, you know, off the board. So that leaves 21 teams. And, you know, as much as he is an incredibly attractive goaltender, you know, I, I think we saw a lot of moves made this off season by teams that need goalies to address that, that specific, you know, need. And like, I just don't know how many of them are going to be like, Oh, well, uh, let's just trade this in and go up again. Like, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not like a lease. Like I just don't, it's not, it's not that simple in my opinion. You know, there's assets and everything and, you know, saving face and things like that. And so, you know, but I mean, it also, you know, like you said, you mentioned Manson and Raquel and Lindholm, and that really kind of gets into something else we wanted to talk about a little bit today, as far as some of the reports coming out of, uh, the Ducks development rookie camp about, you know, that seems to be um, that the team is, is in a position now where they're comfortable taking on uh, contracts in order to pick up picks and prospects. And so if, if that's where they're at, they've got about 13 million in cap space right now. And they've got a handful of guys making decent money. You know, Raquel makes four Gibby, uh, sorry, Manson makes four uh, Lindholm makes like five, two, you know, I mean, where what are your thoughts on the reports coming out that they really are maybe looking to make those kind of moves? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm a, intrigued by it. I was going to say excited, but I'm, I'm not in that sense because I feel like we've heard this before, and especially at the yeah. beginning of last year's season, that the Ducks would be willing to make these types of deals and then none of them were made. So it's, it's always nice that they're willing to do it, but how picky are you going to be? You know, I, I think the stand. I can't remember where I read this. It was probably an Eric Stevens article in reference to why Ricard Raquel and Josh Manson didn't get moved. I think it was Eric Stevens' most recent mailbag, and the sense that he got from it was the Ducks wanted like a first in a top prospect, and we talked about this at the deadline, and they didn't get that. They could have gotten one of them, a first or a top prospect, but they wanted both. They didn't get both, so they didn't move them. 
And that's what worries me about this is like there's probably opportunities out there for them to do this, similar to what Arizona's done in utilizing their cap space and moving guys out to get a lot of assets in. But the deal just doesn't fit the kind of the the picky mold that Bob Murray wants for that specific deal. So I, I you know, I'm happy that they're exploring it, but the concern with the Ducks always comes, you know, how picky are you gonna be? Where you're, you know, are you going to hold on to these guys because the perfect move doesn't come? You know, sometimes you you just got to move them, and they're going to be in that situation and be faced with that hard reality this year with guys like Ricard Raquel, Josh Manson, and Hampus Lindholm because they're all going into the final year of their contracts. You're going to be faced with that situation come deadline day if they are if they're still part of the organization that you either move these guys at the deadline and get something for them. Or you either lose them for nothing or have to re-sign them, which is maybe not the best situation for the Ducks right now because Ricard Raquel is definitely going to be looking for more money. Hampus Lindholm is going to be looking at what guys like Pulak and Heisken and God and is going to look for around seven and a half to eight million dollars for a, a decent amount of term, and he deserves it to be honest, but maybe not here in Anaheim with the way this franchise is right now. And Josh Manson is going to command a, a little bit more than the four point five that he makes right now and if you're the ducks do you want to give that to him so you, they're going to be faced with that situation and they've kind of done that to themselves at this point in in not dealing these guys for what they could have got last year now you know maybe they get what they want for for raquel at the deadline this year maybe they get what they want for josh manson teams are desperate you know raquel and manson have had nice bounce back years everything goes as planned who knows but there's a lot of ifs in that situation and now you've backed yourself into a corner that you might not have a lot of leverage come deadline day if Raquel and Manson have struggled and the price has gone down from what you would have got for them last year. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think, um, you know, I mean, it's something Elliot Friedman has made a comment more than a couple times on, on the 31 Thoughts podcast where he says Bob Murray is one of the last guys in the league who, like, wants to win the trade. You know, and, and I just think... It's so funny that Bob Murray is like that when he also is the guy who constantly talks about making hockey trades. So he's always like, oh, I want to make a trade that's good for everybody, but I also need to fleece you at the same time. Well, it's like, oh, okay, dude. But like, don't you think then if that's kind of your reputation that when you call people and you offer up what should seem as fair, they're going to start to second guess it? Like, you know, like you can't you can't have it both ways. You know, I, you know, I think. I think it was me and you at the trade deadline who at least said, look, the reality is they still have another year, so they, they haven't completely hosed themselves. Yeah. But like you just said, the farther into this season it goes, the closer to the deadline it goes, the more leverage the players are going to have, the more leverage other teams are going to start to have. There is pressure on this team right now, on this organization, to try to do a couple of things to improve the quality of this team either you know for the foreseeable future for you know a three-year window or for the five years after that three-year window but they've got to pick something you know the like you said hopefully this is real this time and they really are looking to really start moving some of these core guys out um but you know i I don't know how many times i want to let lucy pull the football away before i'm like oh maybe i shouldn't believe him this time and you know, the Bacchus trade was a nice little piece to that. But there are other players out there, you know, that fit this. Like, you know, Vancouver has a lot of bad contracts. They've got plenty of guys that they need to move out. They've got Pedersen and Hughes that still need deals, you know. Um, 
it's just one of those things that it really is time to like put up or shut up about it for for Bob Murray. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what it does and what happens. But it would be nice to get a couple of other like, you know, I think like I would be willing to do like Raquel in a second for Cole Perfetti. I think I think that's a perfectly fair trade. You know, I, I think Anaheim is probably paying a little bit in there with that second. You know, maybe you try to make it a third or something like that since it's going to be, by all likelihood, a top five pick in the second round once the lottery is taken out of it. Um, you know, but still, like, if you can bring in a prospect like Cole Perfetti, I think that's really huge. You know, uh, there are guys out there, you know, Matt Boldy or uh, some of these guys. Yeah that that could be really attractive to the team but they got to start making these moves and they have to stop being afraid to lose the trade because if bob murray doesn't make moves because he doesn't think he's getting a hundred percent value that's ridiculous i am all for waiting while you can wait to get the best offer but there does come a point where that just isn't available and you have to adjust if you're fine letting raquel walk on principle to protect your your pride okay fine i think you're an idiot but fine but you know you got to start making stuff happen there are guys on movable contracts right now that will command something and it is up to you and your coaching staff to put them in a position to get the most out of them you know whether that is these guys returning to form and you know trevor zegris and dreesdale take the uh, the jump right away or something crazy right or if it's just, yeah, they look good for 15 games. All right, let's get their ass on a plane and send them somewhere because, you know, one, these guys deserve a chance to compete for real hockey team, like for a real hockey team. And they're not doing anybody any good in Anaheim where it's going to be a bottom five team in the league no matter what. Yeah, the one thing that gives me some hope that things actually get done this year is, is there's a couple of things that go into it. Is is the first is there's going to be a lot of kids pushing for roster spots this year. I think obviously Zegris is, is going to take a step forward. You look at you know Benoit Olivier Grew is a guy that apparently got a lot of talk about at development camp as a guy who could push for a roster spot. I think Mason McTavish could could push for a roster spot depending on how well he does at the rookie faceoff tournament and and in training camp and in regular camp and just seeing how he does and get a few games and who knows right who knows how he could do from there. I think he's a long shot, but you know Jacob Perot if they they have the option to send him to San Diego if they want to this year because he played more than 20 games with the in the AHL last year and that's kind of the new agreement with the AHL and the OHL or the CHL this year so he could be in San Diego and potentially push for a roster spot and you know you look the the, the list goes on in the in the amount of young forwards the Ducks have in their organization and in San Diego this year who could push for a roster spot and potentially push guys like Ricard Raquel out and make it easier to trade them and I think the other thing too is there's no expansion draft of this year so teams acquiring mm-hmm. Raquel and Manson I know it's now in their last year their contracts are essentially rentals anyway but there is no risk of losing these guys which I think you know, we debated you know us and Pat and Jay last year at the deadline on, on how much of an impact that that has but I think it did maybe steer some teams away from going in for Josh Manson and Ricard Raquel with the extra year on their contract and paying for that extra year knowing that they could have to expose them in the expansion draft to Seattle and it, it might have, you know, shied away a few suitors. Now I think Ricard Raquel with his cap hit and how much lower it will be at that point of the season or the deadline, I think he'll be a guy that will be extremely sought after. You know, at that point you're 
you know, you're basically only paying about $1.5 million. And the Ducks, if they really wanted to, could eat some more of that. So he's basically costing you next to nothing to play in your top six or your top nine. I think no matter how Raquel is doing, he'll be a, a very uh, sought-after asset. I think Manson, to the, that same extent, he's only making four and a half. You can retain some of that. It's not even four and a half. It's oh, four yeah, four one. one, so even better. He'll be you're making less than that near the deadline. You can retain some of that if you're you're dealing with a cap-strap franchise or take on some salary, like we talked about and how we initially started this conversation here as well to offset that. I think they're two guys who could be extremely valuable. Now, when you look at Lindholm, I think you, you run the risk there is you, you don't want to trade him as if he's a rental because he he has some significant value to re-sign and, and beyond just mm-hmm. this year. Um, so he's a guy I would, I would maybe be a little bit more stingy with, and, and if the right deal doesn't come along, keep him, trade him later on. You know, That's the only guy I would take that risk with. But with Raquel and Manson, no matter the seasons they have, it, I feel like it's a disappointment if they're not dealt at the deadline for assets. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's... Oh, my God, they bought out Holpe. I completely forgot. Um, yeah, no, I, you're 100% right. I think at this point, it really is time for, for them to make the commitment to building up this team moving forward, you know? I mean, look, like you just said, you could retain half on Raquel and Manson, put them in a package together, and get both of them for the same cost as one mm-hmm. of them. Are you telling me that you said here's a top four defenseman and a top six winger, both of whom are going to be making about two million? Uh, you know what I mean? In in cat, like, yeah, dude, you can maybe start to get the type of packages that you're looking for with that. Like, that's really, you know, I mean, especially with some of these teams that are going to be kind of around the bubble or that want to be making a push. Or the, the top teams. Like, tell yeah. me, Colorado at the deadline wouldn't be interested in that, depending on on how guys have panned out. Even you know, depending, even if guys well for them like Colorado is one of those teams that were in a similar situation to what uh, Tampa was a couple years ago where they still had some decent prospects left and their picks are meaningless to them and they're just looking to add additional pieces to take them over the hump to that next level Colorado's at that spot now where they do have guys like Newhook and Cout and Byram and other guys that you know are great young players but you can maybe you know justify getting rid of them to add a player or to add players like Raquel and Manson to your team to strengthen yourself for this year to win the cup, and you can you know you can convince yourself it's okay moving on from a new hook in your first round pick plus or whatever to get that, and, and those are the teams that they should target with that, and and why it's such such a good spot for the Ducks to be in with both of those guys and how how little they make is. Even if they're having bad years, you can chalk that up to the Ducks being a bad team. History shows that they are good players. And you put them in a good team, mm-hmm. Ricard Raquel is, is going to be a very valuable player in, in any team's top nine, especially a team like Colorado. Josh Manson is going to be a good top four defenseman for a team like that, or just a very good five or six if you really wanted to use him there, right? So those are the teams you should target because... And, and, you know, maybe not Tampa again because their prospect pool isn't that great, but the teams like Colorado, maybe Carolina, if they're making a, a playoff push at that point, or, or the Leafs uh, and guys like Rody and Amirov or Nick Robinson and going for them, right? Like the Leafs have had interest in both Josh Manson and Ricard Raquel in the past and are going to be tied up against the cap. Those are the, the players that those teams are going to be targeting. They're not going to be able to go after 
the top players available at the deadline who have significant cap. You know, they're, they're going to be targeting the Ricard Raquel's and the Josh Mansons uh, of the league that have a smaller cap hit and that the Ducks also have the room to retain some of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, look, as much as I don't think that they are, Montreal seems to think that they're a playoff team. Yeah. You know, well, okay, but they need goal scoring and they need um, defensemen. You know what I mean? I mean, Shea Weber is going to be out for the year. They don't know how long Carey Price is going to be out. They added Savard, but, you know, he didn't look necessarily great with Tampa Bay last year and for the little bit he was with them. So there, there's going to be opportunities for these guys to step into, you know, meaningful roles. I mean, hell, Jason Zucker hasn't seemed to been blowing anybody away in his time in Pittsburgh. I think they would be more than happy to add a Ricard Raquel. I mean, look, are you telling me Brian Burke doesn't want Josh Manson on his team? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's his kind of guy. Like he's still that kind of dude, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, Latang is going to be up at the end of this year, and so is uh, Malkin. And I don't know how much they're going to have, like how much those two guys are going to be still in their plans. I mean, Latang is 34, Malkin's 35. You know, Crosby's still got four years, counting this one, left on the contract he's on right now. Like, if he's going to be there for the end of it, they're going to want to, you know, have the guys around him. I don't think Sidney Crosby is going to want the team to kind of languish. I think he's going to be fine if he understands, you know, that they're kind of on the bubble maybe for the last year or two of that deal. But I don't think he's going to be happy with that team not at least competing for third and fourth in the division, you know. So, you know, it's one of those things. There, there's going to be opportunities, and it's just going to be about – whether or not Bob Murray wants to finally just bite the bullet and make some of these moves that can benefit everybody. Because again, nobody wants to see these guys leave. You know, these are guys that we've loved for, you know, four or five years now. We've been big fans of for a while here, but it's also just the way it works. It's cyclical. Sports are cyclical. Rosters are cyclical. There's turnover. There's all that kind of stuff. And it's time for Anaheim to really start you know, moving some of those guys on the on the, the second half of their prime or even out of their window, depending on how you feel about aging curves and things like that. Um, it, you know, it's time to get these some of these guys moving out because, you know, like you said, not only are they expiring contracts and you run the risk of losing them for nothing and things like that, there's also younger guys, just like you said, that are going to be coming in. I mean, look, I, I don't know what to expect at this point, but we still haven't seen Braden Tracy. There's still Benoit Olivier Gruel, like you said. You know, uh, you know, Jacob Perot could be ready within a year or two. McTavish could be ready within a year or two. Zegers and Dreesdale are obviously already on the roster. Comtois already on the roster. Like, these are guys that they need to start supporting with similarly aged players or players who are at least part of that time frame. You know, that's why guys like Perfetti or Boldy or Addison, like, these are guys that could be incredibly attractive to Anaheim if they're willing to bite the bullet and move some of these guys out. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, that's a topic we're going to get into heavily throughout the season. Um, you know, as the ducks, you know, obviously get into some games we see how Raquel and Manson and, and other guys do and how other teams do and what, what teams could be interested in these guys. And it'll be a developing topic. We talked about all year leading up until the deadline or until one of these guys are moved. But the, the big talk right now, 
obviously is on the prospects development camp had uh, just closed at believe last week and obviously now we're heading into uh the rookie face-off tournament uh, that's being hosted by the arizona coyotes uh from september 17th to 20th but before we get into that looking at development camp there's some interesting developments from uh, that camp as well and we'd mentioned benoit olivier grew was getting a lot of talk about his name and a guy who could push for a roster spot which of course i love to hear that uh, he will be a guy getting some looks and a guy who who could push for a spot. I think he deserves it. I think there's a, a role for him on this team. And, and when you look at those players in San Diego and who's the next guy to get his shot and get some games in, I think he's at the top of the list of a, of a guy that hasn't got that chance yet, had a full season in the American Hockey League last year, did very well, and, and did the things that, we know from him in his play style that he does well. You know, he's a great defensive forward. He's a, a really good third line checking energy forward in the, at the NHL level. He's great on the penalty kill. He's a short-handed threat. He did all that for San Diego last year. I think the Ducks have missed that type of player since losing Andrew Cogliano. So I think there's a spot for him. It's just right now, who's he going to beat out? Right? Like there's a lot of names on mm-hmm. that list. Um, and nobody's been moved, and we're talking about trades and whatever. Nick Deloria is still here, and a guy that we thought would be traded. You know, Derek Grant's still here. Um, obviously, Sam Carrick is a guy we'd like to see play, and then all the the other young forwards and, and core, the older core around that. You know, it'd be tough for him to get in there, but he's a guy I'd love to see. And it's nice to see that uh, we've seen some people around the team talking about that in development camp that he could get a chance. Yeah, and I think, you know, if nothing else, him him having this kind of buzz and getting an opportunity to show, you know, kind of what he can do at the rookie faceoff coming up and maybe even get an extended look in preseason, like, it puts pressure on Steele. It puts pressure on Lundestrom. You know, it puts pressure on these guys who are going to be expecting and are going to be expected to compete for middle six minutes. Um you know, and, and Lunderstrom took steps forward last year and, you know, his I thought his defense improved a lot. And then, you know, we got a little bit of offensive pop still still seems to be stuck in the mud a little bit. But, you know, it's the, the skill level is there. But I, I just, you know, I don't know that other than each other, they're not really there isn't anybody there to push those guys. You know what I mean? Like Getzloff isn't going to push them. Enrique isn't going to push them. Derek Grant isn't going to push them. Bringing in a guy. Like, you know, Olivier Gruel, like that's huge because he can be behind those guys and breathe on their necks a little bit. And then they're like, oh, shit, you know, and if he comes up and he looks good. All right. Now you've got two former first round picks, you know, that maybe you can start looking to move around a little bit. Like, all right, what can I get for some of these guys? You know, Um, it's going to be interesting. I just think, you know, to a degree, there is a little bit of roster mismanagement that has led to a position where there are far more players than spots, and there are guys who should start, who should really be right in that window of starting to get real NHL looks, and they might just not have spots ahead of them. You know, I, you know, I don't know. Like you said, I definitely think Benoit Olivier Gruel is, is the guy that I would expect to be the next up and to make a, a name for himself if somebody's going to do it. But you've got Simone Benoit. We still got Brendan Gooley. We still have Josh Mahura. Like, there, you know, Axel Anderson. Um, there are guys who are going to be around this team for another couple years that should be making a push to get on the NHL roster. And if 
they don't have room because of guys already established, then maybe it's time to start looking to move some of those guys, start to get some of these picks, start to get some better prospects or things like that. I don't, it, it, it feels silly because I do feel like this has kind of become what we've been talking about for this, this episode right now, but it's just like, there are real decisions that need to be made on this roster right now. And this year and the decisions that this front office makes are going to have a huge impact on what this team looks like for the next three or four years. Um, because unless they start putting guys in positions to where they have to do more, they're never going to know if they can. You obviously don't want to just throw anybody straight into the fire, but there's a couple of guys who have played a couple of games now, you know, Sam Steele, Max Jones, those guys are coming up on 150 games. Like it's, it's time for them to show that they are NHL players. Yeah. You know, and Steele and Lundestrom bet on themselves, and I love it. I'm so happy for them for that. I think that's awesome, but there's risk there, so they need to show it, you know. Um, so it, it'll be curious. It, it, you know, there's a lot of really interesting aspects to kind of where this roster is at. Unfortunately, none of it is particularly exciting for the next 82 games. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. The, the thing that Akins mentioned is that about that in the competition is that he loves that mindset. He loves that there's going to be competition for roster spots. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think it's good to have competition for roster spots. The problem for me surrounding this franchise and that conversation is that we know there are going to be certain guys that lock down roster spots just because of their contract status and their age and, and their history with this franchise. Guys like Raquel and Silverberg and Henrique, you know, you know, Getzlaff, obviously we want him to be there, but those are the names that we know we're going to see on the roster on a nightly basis because you can't just not play these guys, especially you know guys like Silverberg and Henrique who you're paying over $5 million. You're going to play them. And you're going to play Ricard Raquel, especially if you want to try and move him. You need to play him. And, you know, you're going to play Josh Manson. So you have to play these guys. So then the roster competition in the spots, it shrinks significantly. So then you've maybe got, you know, 15 guys competing for seven spots. And a lot of those guys who are on the fringe, I think they deserve a chance, but they're not getting it because you have some, you know, so many of these locked down spots in front of them and guys that we've argued at multiple times over the last couple of years should have been moved guys like Raquel and Silverberg and Henrique at some point should already have been moved out of this this organization maybe not all of them but at least one if not two of them to allow this roster transition and guys like Jones and Steele and Lindstrom and now Zegris and eventually Perot and Benoit Olivier Grew to slot up in the lineup so that competition where, where Gru would be competing for a third line or a fourth line role, where now maybe that's blocked by Grant or blocked by Delore. And that's not what you want. Like, you don't want these young players yeah. being blocked by those guys. You know, if if Gru is being blocked by Zegris, fine. You know, that makes sense. But you don't want him being blocked by guys that aren't contributing to the, to the roster and or at least aren't contributing to the future of this roster and you can move for additional pieces. So... You know, I agree with Aikens that, yeah, yeah, competitive is important and, and having competition for roster spots is important. But to some extent, you're, you're hurting the development of your players by, you know, keeping some of these guys around and just blocking roster spots with them. And, and you know, that could be a, what Benoit Olivier Grew faces this year is he might have normally gotten a spot if the Ducks had moved on from, let's say, Henrique and Raquel. But now he might not because you've got those guys 
two guys locked down. Jones is likely going to get a spot. You know, Lindstrom's going to play. Zegers is going to play. You know, all the, the guys we've mentioned, the core, they're going to play. Delore is probably going to play. Grant's probably going to play. Okay, so maybe he'll get it on the fourth line, but he's fighting with four other guys, you know, Sam Carrick, whoever, for that spot. That That's where the issue comes for me. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No, I, I think that's all perfectly reasonable. And I think, you know, if, if you're the coach, you know, you want to come out and say, look, this is about competition. This is about having more guys who are qualified for this roster than we have roster spots. And we think that's the sign of a strong organization. And it's going to put us in a position to be competitive this year and going forward. You know, we want everybody having to earn a place and all that, you know, culture and coach speak and stuff like that. And I think it's real and I think it's important. But at the same time, like, You've got Shattenkirk making almost $4 million for another two years. You've got Grant making a million and a half for another two years. You've got, you know, some of these guys like, okay, but like, you know, fuck, what do you do with Sonny Milano at this point? Like, what is Sonny Milano? Yeah. Like, we don't, there, there's nothing, you know, and again, Brendan. He's Gould, a perfect example. Josh Mahura. What are these guys? Like, we don't really know because they don't necessarily get the shot. And like, okay. And like, I get that, like. Yeah, you want to kind of keep Benoit Olivier role maybe in a top nine role. You don't want him playing those dirty fourth minute roles. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like if that's the way you want to do it, that's fine. But who is he taking his spot? There's Lundestrom, there's Zegris, there's Getzloff, there's Henrique. Like there's all of these guys that, you know, they they just have to start making room for some of these guys. And if they don't, they are going to start running the risk of stagnating some of these guys development or worse getting in a position where some of these guys are like, yo, I don't want to be here anymore. Cause I'm not even getting a shot at the show. Like, and if I'm not going to get a shot, what am I doing? Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it does feel like, you know, we say every year, it feels like the year that big things are going to happen and, and, and they don't, <laughs> but this year, it, it's not that it feels like it's going to happen. It's like, even if the ducks don't make any moves, Big things have to happen because so many contracts are expiring. You know that Raquel's gone and Lampus Lindholm is potentially gone. And Josh Manson is gone and Lindstrom and Steele are on one-year deals. And Derek Grant's done, I believe, after this year as well. And I think Deloria is also done after this year as well. I'd, I'd have to double-check that. But you've got a lot of expiring contracts of guys that are blocking those roster spots. That this is an assessment year for a lot of those guys. And like I said, potentially the ultimatum to trade some of these guys like Raquel and Manson, where then the roster spots start opening up just organically. You know, the 
Ducks management didn't do anything about it because the contracts expired and these guys didn't impress, then all of a sudden you've got that spot, uh, those spots opening up at that point. And now, you know, we'll get it. We could get into an argument about Henrik and Silverberg and how to free up those spots and what you're going to do with those guys. But, uh, you know, that's a decision the Ducks will have to make at, at a later point. But organically, some roster spots will open up after this season. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who ends up earning that spot. You know, you mentioned Steele and Lindstrom um, banking on themselves this year and, and this being really important years for them to to not only earn bigger contracts, but also to prove that they deserve to stick around in this team. So those will be two guys to watch this year. But you know, I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Zegris here because obviously that's the guy that everybody's going to be be looking to watch this year. And you know, Zegris had an interesting comment from development camp as well about how basically the first and, f- and foremost thing he's looking at right now is just trying to make the team out of camp. You know, And I, I think that that's just... That's not surprising to hear that from a player, but I think for us, it's surprising to hear that come from Zegers because we all feel he has a spot locked out. You know, no matter no matter how he does in development camp, no matter how he does at the rookie faceoff or whatever, it just feels like he just feels like a guy that should have a roster spot no matter what. And maybe that's the case, but it is nice to hear from him that he feels like he is competing for a spot and he's not going into development camp and the face-off tournament just expecting to make the team you know he's going out there to compete to play well and to make the team and you know he's not it's not like he's gonna say in an interview that you know oh I'm just coming out here to get some reps in I know I'm gonna make the team but it's nice to hear him recognize that he does have to compete for a spot as well as any of these other guys because it realistically like he's a second-year player who played 25 games in the NHL last year. You know, you just, you take the name out of it and everything we know about his skill level out of it. This is the type of guy who should be competing for a roster spot. So it's nice for him to come into development camp and the rookie faceoff with that mentality. And I expect him to have a very, very successful rookie faceoff tournament because he'll probably be the best player there. Yeah, he'll definitely be up there. I mean, you know, he, he, he really has a chance to be the best player at that tournament just from what we know of, uh, you know, I mean, you've got him and you've got probably Byfield, I think, because the Kings will probably be there. Yeah, Eklund with um, with the Sharks yeah, will be the there Sharks. as well. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, he's so up it, there. It, it'll, it, it'll be good, too, because there will be, you know, fortunately enough, the Pacific Division has kind of turned into a joke as far as some of these teams so it will actually be good that you know they're going to go into this rookie tournament and there's going to be lottery picks there like high skill players that are going to be expected you know ignoring what we know about odds and the way that picks always play out like these are guys that are at least have the expectation of being contributors down the line when these teams are competitive again and it'll be good to get him in there amongst his peers and see how he does as far as the quote yeah that's what you want to hear you know he's 20 years old He's coming out. He knows that he did enough last year to earn a look. And by all accounts, you look at the roster. I mean, there's nobody that should stand in his way. But at the same time, you can look at this roster and you can put 12 guys in at forwards and Trevor Zegers isn't there. You know, you can go Getzloff, Henrik, Lundestrummer, Steele, Grant. Like, y- you can go for centers. Like, you know, we were talking about guys freeing up spots about – Manson and Raquel and I think the one thing about that just to kind of go back to it for a second is the spots that those two are going to open up 
they're not spots they really have guys for. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem. You know, the spots that they have guys for is Henrique, for Silverberg, right? These kind of two-way players. Like, yeah, I would like Benoit Olivier Rule to step into some of these roles. But unless Sam Steele or Isaac Lundestrom come out of the gate as an absolute dud, I don't know how he does it unless they want to put him as a wing. But it seems like his value is going to be as a two-way center. And it'd, it'd be a waste of his skill set to take that away from him. Um, you know, so I, I don't know, man. I feel like we're I'm kind of running back a little bit. But it's just one of those things for me. It's just that it, this rookie tournament has a really big opportunity to be a very big positive for a lot of young guys. But even if they come out of it looking really good it's hard to know what that means for this season specifically i think there's reason to be optimistic in a couple years as far as where this team can be but this upcoming season i my expectations are pretty low as far as how competitive this team is going to be every night yeah like let's look at the roster for this rookie turner first first i'll just Go and reiterate, just for anybody who doesn't know, the tournament is hosted by the Coyotes uh, at Gila River Arena and the Ice Dead in Scottsdale from September 17th to 20th. Uh, Joel Bouchard will actually serve as the head coach for the rookie squad, which is an interesting development. I don't know. I don't know if this is traditional. Like, I don't know if I can't remember if when uh, Aikens was the coach of the Gulls, he also coached it. I think he did because I remember talking about that uh, back. Mm -hmm. So maybe he did. Maybe this is traditional, but. Uh, the Ducks will play the Sharks on Friday, September 17th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. The Avalanche on September Sunday, September 19th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And the Coyotes to wrap everything up on Monday, September 20th at noon Pacific time. And looking at the roster, like talking about guys who could compete for a roster spot and, and you know might not have spots to really fulfill, depending, no, no matter how they do, you know, I, I look at guys like Mason McTavish. We talked about him a little bit. Like, he could come out and have an excellent rookie face-off tournament and then also have a great camp. But where does he play? And I, I think before the Zegras experiment, we would have gone down the path of saying, okay, he's a center. If the Ducks wanted to play at center, he's going to play at center at the NHL. But we saw them branch away from that with Zegras, so we could see them branch away with that from that with McTavish just to get him in the lineup and play a couple games. So he, he's a guy I think that benefits from that. Who's also played at the wing um, at times that could get a spot on, on the ducks left side. Uh, if he has a good rookie camp, uh, obviously Zegris is there. I think he's a guy that that's going to make the roster no matter what, as much as he likes to say he's competing for a spot. I think there's, there's an obvious spot no matter how well or how bad he does at the tournament. But you know, Gru is going to be here. Braden Tracy is going to be there. Jacob Perot is going to be there. And Sasa Pistuyov is going to be there. I think Pistuyov probably has the lowest chance of them all, no matter how well he does. But now with him actually just being there, he wouldn't have been before if he didn't switch his eligibility uh, and bail mm-hmm. on the NCAA and go to the OHL. He could be a guy that could get a look, depending on, on how well he does. And he's a winger on the right side or left side, so the Ducks have some flexibility there. Um, to, to slot them in if they wanted. But I, I think, you know, those are the guys you'll want to keep an eye on are, are guys like Mason McTavish and, and Benoit Levy Grew and Braden Tracy, Perot and Pastuyov on, on guys who could warrant a look depending on how well they do. And, and then from there, like you said, it just comes to how do you find a spot for these guys because they've they've shown they deserve the chance. Now you've got to find a way to work them in. Yeah, no, it, you know, 
I, like I said, I just think, like you said, most of those guys aren't really going to have a shot at this year's roster, you know, yep. no matter how well they play, unless somebody calls and is like, hey, how do you feel about giving us Adam Henrique? You know, unless that's what happens. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this rookie tournament will be really good for Zegris and a lot of those kids you said, you know what I mean? Competing against their peers, competing against, you know, guys like Alex Newhook and Bowen Byram and Eklund, like we already said, like there, there's going to be guys that it's going to be good for them to compete against. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it feels a lot more, you know, like a, like a U17 tournament than it does a prospect camp, just because it feels like these guys are a couple of years away i mean based on physical ability you would think mctavish is the closest uh yeah. outside of gruel obviously yeah played pro but, last year too so you know so maybe he's one you know he's a big guy he's played a physical game he's got the skill uh you know his, his skating doesn't seem to be as far behind as some people thought originally so you know he maybe has a shot but again there's nowhere for him to play unless they move him to wing. And even if they move him to wing, there's still not really a lot of places for him to play. So, you know, it's, it's weird because there's a lot to be excited about, but it also feels like it kind of reinforces some of the malaise that has kind of set in around this team. Yeah. And I think when you look at this roster, like Zegers is the only guy that is almost a foregone conclusion to be on the opening night roster. Um, and then, like we said, I, I picked off you know maybe five or six names of guys who could challenge for an NHL spot. But you know, realistically, Perot would have to do amazing not only at the rookie faceoff, but also in preseason and at, at the regular camp to to really make a make you know get a chance there. Pastuyov, the same thing. Uh, I think the same goes for for Gru or Tracy. I think Gru maybe has a a, a little bit closer of a track. I think beyond Zegris, I think my safest bets of guys to get a look early on would probably be Gru or McTavish. And then you just got to find where to slot them in at that point. And then the rest of the roster, I think Alex Limoget is an interesting one, but he'll probably, he's only on an AHL contract. So if the Ducks wanted to even play him, he'd have to, they'd have to sign him to an entry level contract annually. But my favorite addition of the forward group on this roster is the fact that Hunter Drew is listed as a forward and not a defenseman. I can't wait to see this play out. I honestly hope he plays with uh, Trevor Zegers or Mason McTavish because that would uh, that would awesome that would be excellent. But uh, I just love that he's listed as a forward on here. Like it's not a typo because we know he's played forward before and he's played forward for the goals. And I and and it kind of shows you the direction i think they want to go with his development is they want to turn him into a forward full-time and be kind of like a gritty enforcer fourth line guy i love that because eventually you're going to move on from nick delore you're you're going to move on from you know the typical fourth line forwards that they have and you, you you would like a guy maybe not on a nightly basis but to have a guy around the roster around the 13-man squad that can be that guy that can step up physically i think max jones obviously has proven he can be that guy on on occasion, but we all know Hunter Drew's track record, so it would be nice to see him get a shot potentially on in a fourth line role. Like if the Ducks somehow traded Nick Delore before the start of the year, and then all of a sudden that opens a spot for Hunter Drew to fill that role and be that guy and potentially play some 
meaningful minutes on the fourth line for the Ducks. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? Because we were just talking, I was just saying a second ago that there's really not anybody to step into the roles if Raquel and Manson leave. And I think the fact that Drew is now a forward almost highlights that because before you looked at him, you know, his first rookie rookie tournament, you watched him and you're like, oh, okay, so that's Josh Manson. Like, that's the next one. Like, if we're yep. going to get another one of these guys, it's going to be him. You know, he's big, he's physical, he's a very stay-at-home guy, and, and now he's a forward, you know, so they don't even really have anybody like that in the pipeline. And, like, that's fine. Like, one, there's other ways to find it. There's other drafts, all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not, you know, lamenting the fact that there's nobody like that. But it does highlight, like you said, just kind of what's going on. And, it, and it'll be interesting, you know, because – he's got a real climb ahead of him. Like there are other wingers, you know, I mean, hell you could even argue, especially after what we saw at the end of last season, that if they move out Delorier, the guy that should get brought up is Carrick who can play, you know, all three forward spots. He he's, he's shown a willingness to be physical and engage with guys. And, you know, he's got that kind of feistiness to him. He's a little bit older than some of these other guys. I think he's like 26, 27. Um, you know, he's he's got that to his game and he's a little bit more of a proven commodity uh, than a guy like Hunter Drew is. So, you know, I mean, look, if if Hunter Drew turns into some weird winger that plays with like McTavish or Zegris, you know, uh, in the pros like that, that would be fucking awesome. Like, I mean, look, that's my guy. Like we all know I anything he does to be, he could be the starting goalie in five years. I would be ecstatic. I don't care. But you know, it, it, it is very interesting that he he's not the type of guy just by his profile early that you would think is going to get moved too forward. You know, there were questions about his skating. There were questions about his decision making. He didn't seem to have a ton of offensive upside. You know, he was a stay at home physical defenseman and now he's a forward. You know, and, and they you know, the organization has talked about wanting to play faster, about wanting to play with more skill and. You know, if his that parts of his game have developed, that's phenomenal. But at the same time, like, if it hasn't, what's the point, right? Is it just to have a homegrown fourth liner? Which, fine, I'm cool with that. I don't mind it. Yeah. But it's just an odd thing to see. Yeah, and and I think for them too is, is the versatility is more so finding a fit for him in the lineup potentially because I think the goals are gonna could be relatively short on forwards, where. There's going to be some defensemen stepping into that system that they have six guys I think they're comfortable with. And we mentioned guys like Mahura and Gooley and Cody Curran still there. Like, they have to play, and they're going to play. And Axel Anderson's going to play. And, you know, the list goes on for those guys on, on defense that are going to play down there. I think they like what Hunter Drew brings. And the fact that he can play forward just gives him another option to play him as mm-hmm. a third or fourth line forward. And then, because you know, then he doesn't have to sit on the bench or whatever. You don't have to move him or send him down to um, to the ECHL. Like you've got another option for him. So I think for him to just get games and to get ice time, they want him to play forward. And using the rookie camp maybe is some. You know, he's going to be one of the older guys there, but using the rookie camp is a way for him to get some reps in at forward before the start of the season, rather than just say, okay, game one of the AHL year, you're playing forward. That's it. You haven't really done any work since last year. Now he's going to get three games here and maybe, maybe some preseason. We'll see. But at least, you know, three three solid games here against some pretty good opposition to see how he does it forward and see if they want to use him there. So maybe it, maybe it's a testing grounds for him to see how they 
how he does at forward and where they want to use him. But man, like th- this forward group will be interesting to watch. I really hope they overload the lines and because there's six guys that I want to watch and I want them all to play together. Like I, I really hope we see who are the six. Well, I, I hope we see Tracy with Zegris and Pastuyov or Perot. And then grew with McTavish, and then whoever Perot and, and Pastuya ever left over. Like just load up that that top six. Yeah. The rest of these guys are are a mix of, you know, some of the AHL guys and um, camp invites. The guys who aren't actual prospect guys like Vincent Mar Marlowe and Logan Niehoff and uh, or, or Greg Prince I think is also a camp invite. Um, and then some of the AHL guys like Max Golod and Jack Bedini and Sean Shagirl. So uh, I hope they load up the, the top six there and we get to see those guys just go off. But on defense, I think this is the, the most exciting thing. Obviously, we're going to see those fours. Defense, there's not a lot of guys to key in on. But this might be my favorite thing to camp is a potential pairing of Zellweger and Drysdale. And just watching the, the skating phenom that is going to go on between these two if they're paired together. I don't know if they'll do it because they might want to go for, you know, a, a traditional a, balance. Yeah, yeah, traditional balance of like a Heinz with Drysdale and Zellweger with Anderson, and that's what we might see. But, man, I would just love to see, even if it's for a game, Zellweger paired with Drysdale just to watch these guys go off. I'm, I'm really excited. I think out of all these guys, you know, I'm definitely excited to watch Pusuyav and McTavish, but to I haven't seen a lot of, of Olin Zellweger and I want to see what he can do. I want to see that skating on, on full display and to watch him paired with Drysdale would just be, would just be a highlight of the camp to see these guys go off. Yeah. I mean, that's just a YOLO pair, right? That's just like, that's your Leroy Jenkins. Just go for it. Like, that's just what that is. Um, you know, and that's awesome. I I think, you know, if you're going to try that, the rookie tournament's the perfect place to try that. You know, because they're not going to really be in a position to where they're going to be taken advantage of physically, you know, because that's one of the things about the preseason is you're still going to have those 26, 28, you know, kind of tweener lifer kind of guys. You know, I don't want those guys going out there with them and just getting cross checked in the head like, you know, having them at a a rookie tournament where they're going to be the same age. They're going to be roughly the same development physically and stuff like that. I think it's a great opportunity to go for it. And if you have a chance to put two great skaters on a pair together, you know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't at least try it. Um, you know, because they're going to have the ability to come back and, and, and cover for each other because they're so quick. Um, you know, I think for me, Zellweger and Pastuyov are the ones that I'm really excited to see. I, I really want to see Pastuyov because everything that I understand about his skill set is incredibly intriguing to me. I think having a guy who can just kind of be, you know, just, just kind of a dual threat guy from the wing. Like I, you know, we saw Terry and Zegras play together and their kind of ability to pass between each other because Terry is, you know, he's not a goal scorer and he's not a playmaker. He's a little bit of both. And so to have him and Zegers, I think, is interesting, you know, and to have a guy like maybe Pastuyov to help increase some of the the offensive skill and IQ on a line with McTavish, that's really interesting to me, too, you know? Um, you know, and you can maybe see those two playing with a Comtois or a Perot or something like that and really just trying to create some some interesting uh, some interesting looks and, and some mixes, you know, uh, 
again, it's one of those things where he's like, well, if everybody hits, but if more than a couple of these guys hit, Anaheim is in a position to have a very nice top nine in about three or four years of, of, of really good balanced physically, uh, physically, you know, imposing with guys like McTavish and Jones and Comtois, and then also having guys that are, that are going to be more skilled, um, you know, and being able to play some of that, you know, I, I think everybody looks at what Tampa has been able to do with their three kind of almost top six lines but, you know, I go back to the first Pittsburgh Cup when they had Jordan Stahl as a third-line center because he was such a young kid. Like, he made them able to do so much more because he was better than his role on that team. And obviously, that's why they had to move him and stuff like that. But there was a window there where they were just like, yeah, we just have three of these guys. Let's just use them. And, and you know, that the prospect that Anaheim could have something similar to that if enough of these guys hit is very exciting yeah i I just love the potential for them to overload a first line of of just pure skill of zegris pistuyav and perot and just just watch these guys absolutely torch this this rookie face-off tournament would be exciting i i don't know if bouchard will will kind of ice it that way uh but at least on the power play you know you know we'll see zegris you know we'll see perot drysdale I would assume Pastuyov out of anybody in here would get a shot. So we, we potentially see a, a, a power play four of Perot, Zegers, Pastuyov, and Drysdale, and then whoever they decide to want to put as the, the five there, if they want to go another defenseman, it's likely Zellweger or Anderson. If they want to go another forward, it, it could be Tracy. It could be McTavish. Like <laughs> a, a, five, you know, a dream five to watch on the power play at this rookie faceoff tournament would be uh, McTavish, Zegris, Pastuya, Perot, and Drysdale. Like that would be, yeah. that would be a dream just to see that. I, I, we need to see that at some point and watch these guys go off. Like that's a, that's got to be a guaranteed power play goal. When you think Drysdale will be at the point, McTavish will be in front of the net, Perot on the Ovechkin side, Pastuyav on on the left, or I guess Zegris behind the net, probably behind the net, facilitating. And then Pustuyev at the the right wall, or potentially at the point with with Drysdale and Zegers operating on that right side, where he did on the Ducks power play, like that that is a, that's a picture of the future potentially for what the Ducks power play could look like in two or three years, and that's why we want to watch these right is is seeing the potential for what these guys could look like, and and kind of envisioning what the Ducks team could look like in a couple of years. Yeah, and, you know, if a guy like Pastyov can improve, you know, some of his lateral mobility, just, you know, side-to-side movement, he's the kind of guy that you could see being a significant threat from behind the net, you know, if they try to do a 1-3-1 kind of setup, you know, and you have Perot on the Ovechkin side, and then you have Zegers on the other side, and you've got McTavish as kind of the bumper, having a shoot-pass threat like Pastyov behind there, you know, for either Zegers to hit if he sneaks in or to be able to feed it to Perot by, you know, sliding into the corner and bringing guys towards him. Like, you know, yeah, man, that's, that's a hell of a five. I, so I just, I, I want to do this real quick. And I, I, it just kind of occurred to me while we were talking about it. So we're still kind of in that post, uh, Kotkaniemi offer sheet window right now. And a lot of what I have heard about that is that, the Carolina Hurricanes are betting that their system and their development, you know, pipeline will help Kotkaniemi reach the kind of potential 
that they were hoping that he had and that, you know, there is a belief seemingly around the league and from some of the people I know who follow and write about uh, the Habs that the Habs have had issues developing some of their high-end prospects these last few years. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that, given that the Ducks just brought in Bouchard, who's been the guy from Laval. And everything that we've heard about Bouchard has been very positive. But I guess it's just an interesting thing to me to kind of see the juxtaposition of, well, the Habs can't develop their own guys, but also we want the guy in charge of their minor league team. Yeah. You know, and I I, I just wonder where you're at with that, because I just think that's a very... You know, because obviously so much of development can be institutional or organizational, but just where you're at with what that says about Bouchard and, and him coming to Anaheim. Yeah, I, I think the mismanagement of Kotkin Yemi says a, maybe more so about the Habs NHL level rather than Joel Bouchard at the at the Laval level, because Kotkin Yemi spent a little bit of time with them in, in Laval, but. More so, I felt like what went wrong for him is that the Habs just couldn't find out how they wanted to use him at the NHL level, whether they want to use him at the wing or as a center, and how, how they wanted to use him. Did they want to play him on the power play, penalty kill? How many minutes should he play? Should he play in the top six? Should he play you know third-line minutes? I feel like they never really figured it out with him. And, and I, I honestly have full confidence in the Hurricanes to turn him into maybe not the player... Uh, you know, maybe not a third overall talent, but a, a top six player. I think he's going to do really well there. I think that's the right system for him. I, I wouldn't necessarily be worried about Joel Bouchard because of that, because I think the job that Bouchard did in Laval speaks for itself. And the players that the Habs were able to get from Laval and to come up and contribute, like you know, Jake Evans is a third line center. I think he came up from Laval and did a really good job for the Habs. There's an, a number of other guys who played for Laval in the last couple of years under Bouchard who've come up and, and done a job for the Habs. So uh, I, I have confidence in, in Bouchard. And, and honestly, that's another exciting storyline. I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, on the goals level to see how he does as head coach of the mm-hmm. goals this year and how he utilizes players like Benoit Olivier Grimm, potentially uh, Jacob Perot and others to see what he can get out of them and how he wants to use them. You know, more so, I'm interested to see how he uses uh, Jacob Perot because Perot was used, I don't want to say sparingly, but he, he wasn't a go-to guy for the goals last year, which makes sense. He wasn't even supposed to be there. What is supposed to be in the OHL, so I can understand them being a bit cautious about him. But from what we've seen, Bouchard likes to, to kind of not heap pressure on the younger players, but use them a little bit more. And there's going to be a lot of weapons in San Diego this year. And, and, you know, with no Zegras and no Drysdale likely down there, there's going to be another guy who has to drive the bus. And I think it's time for Perot to step up and show he can be that guy if he wants to get to the next level. And and I hope we, we see Bouchard, you know, do that and get the best out of him. And, and, you know, as of right now, just looking at his resume, I have full confidence that, uh, that Bouchard is going to be that guy. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think that's right. Like, you know, like I was just looking at Kotkin Yemi played 79 games at 18 in Montreal. Yeah. And then the next year he played 36 games in Montreal, which means they sent his ass back down to Laval. And so like, you know, that yo-yoing can be detrimental. And so it could just be like you said, you know, that they couldn't find a spot. They weren't sure how they wanted to use him. There was this pressure because he was a top five pick and all these kinds of things. And he did walk into the league at 18 and, you know, you, you can see, 
all sorts of reasons why it could just be fit and organization and not necessarily have anything to do with the time he spent with Bouchard, obviously. Um, it was just something I was very curious about because it did kind of strike me as thinking about it after the fact. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, other than Zegers and Dreesdale, like I, I think a lot of the excitement for Ducks fans is absolutely going to be what's going on in San mm-hmm. Diego. You know, and, and I think that's cool. I, I do think there's something to be said for that, right? To be able to go look at the minor league team and go, yo, some of these guys are going to be players at the next level, and we're trying to figure out which ones it is. You know, I think that's exciting. Um, and hopefully they can put together a good season under Bouchard and kind of help minimize some of the uh, despair uh, around Anaheim as far as where this team is at competitively every night yeah so. i mean we're, we're at that point as a franchise that watching you know the goals in the ahl team to see these guys develop is is not going to be more exciting but going to be a talking point for most of the season to see how they do and who's going to be able to make the steps sooner rather than later and you know obviously the big storyline all year is going to be how does egress and drysdale do in a full season in a regular normal 82 game season with the regular division set up and, and see how they do and what they can do and for zegris it's going to be the race for the calder trophy and you know i think right now he's the vegas odds on favorite to win it mm-hmm. so there's going to be a lot of eyes not just in anaheim and from ducks fans on him from around the nhl to see if he can live up to to those lofty expectations. You know, looking at his track record and his history, he's proven to not only meet expectations but, you know, surpass them. So not to say I think he's going to win the Calder Trophy, but I think he'll be in the discussion. Nope, you heard it here, folks. Eddie says Zegers <laughs> is going to win the Calder. He guaranteed he, it. I, he has a chance. I, 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 I think he has a really Yo, good chance. He has chance. a genuine yeah. chance, man. He's, he's going to have that real mix of, obvious talent um you know and 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 i i mean obvious talent in the way that like you know some players the things that they're great at are just more subtle the stuff zegris is gonna be great at is the stuff that is gonna make its way around twitter i mean we still get likes like to this day on his goal from san diego like it's just this you know what i mean like it's still that kind of a thing he's and and he's going to have an opportunity because this roster around him isn't going to have the most talent so if he's making shit happen it's going to be because he's making shit happen um you know and it'll be cool you know hell i think there's an outside shot for dreesdale just because of what he can bring to the power play being a dynamic skater and being able to um you know pass and, and and shoot and stuff like that and really bring that that offensive uh game to a power play that's just frankly not had it you know, there, there's a lot of things to be excited about. Um, and the Calder Trophy is, look, I think if at the end of the year we've got a Calder Trophy and a Calder Cup, I think that's a win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would be perfectly just happy going for the, the double Calder this year. So. Yeah, yeah the, the the big thing to watch, of course, will be the progress of, of Zegers and Drysdale and then obviously the, the direction the franchise takes with a lot of the aging core and expiring contracts that we mentioned. But that that wraps it up for uh, what we're you know topics that we're going to talk about for today's show. Obviously, we're pushing closer to the regular season now, so we will eventually have a full season preview show set up for you know the the couple weeks out from the start of the season, where we'll break down the roster and and kind of project what we think the opening night roster will look like. But we're going to wait and see, obviously, how the rookie faceoff tournament goes, how training camp goes, how preseason goes evaluate all these guys and then we'll go into that show with with all the knowledge and all the facts and stats and and kind of break everything down there uh as per tradition at some point 
we will do a full season preview for the NHL, make our predictions for the divisions and who's going to finish where, President's Trophy. I haven't even looked back on our predictions from last year, but I already know they were probably pretty bad. So we're going to... I think I was 100% right with everything. (laughs) As long as we don't check, you can always keep that mindset, right? So exactly but right. we'll, we'll i don't look backwards i'm like jimmy butler i don't have a rear view mirror <laughs> we can just make predictions and as long as we don't check them they're right they're always 100 percent right there it is let's go um, I see no you, well, you were right you predicted the ducks first the record after the first 20 games last year and you had that yeah it's because i'm so we can just I'm it's really safe smart. to assume if you, you got that right you got more. all the rest of them right so Exactly. There's no way that that doesn't hold up logically. Uh, but we will be breaking down the rest of the league and our predictions as well, whether that's a regular show or Patreon. Again, uh, we'll make that decision at some point and obviously let everybody know. Um, Stephen and I have a, a couple plans uh, for some shows leading up until that point uh, to kind of fill the time. Hockey yeah. related. Yeah, this hockey time related well. this time. For, <laughs> if anybody enjoyed that that show uh, that we did with Brent uh, talking about Manchester United and the Seattle Kraken, we, we plan to do s- some more of those from time to time as well, just to kind of switch things up and, and have a different flow every now and then. But uh, we will have some hockey related kind of uh, extra shows. Um, Ducks related shows as well coming up before the start of the season and then obviously once we get into the season it will be uh, kind of business as usual getting back to talking about you know the action on the ice and, and the developments there so we're getting close to that time of year but thanks for everybody for for joining us it was nice to check back in on everybody hope you guys have had a uh, you know a great month uh, the last time we talked to you was near the end of August so Hopefully uh, everybody's doing well, and we'll talk to you guys soon heading to the beginning of the Ducks season. Take care, everybody.